Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to episode 24 of Why Are People Into That? The podcast that holds you in place like a vintage satin girdle. I'm your host, Tina Horn, and I came back from New Orleans this week with some kind of bug or ghost in my chest, so please forgive this flummy intro. My incredible sponsors today and every day are Smitten Kitten, the sex toy store for everybody. Smitten Kitten is offering a special discount to wire people into that listeners. Simply enter code Y, that's W-H-Y, when you check out to get a generous 20% off your order. Do you want to know what the sex professional who has everything buys herself from Smitten Kitten? I just bought myself a hot water bottle that has a cat with a studded collar on it because my uterus told me to. Listen to your uterus or the uterus of someone you love and go shopping at smittenkittenonline.com because as Homer Simpson reminds us, there's no I in uterus. My guest for this episode is Morgana May, who, in addition to holding a PhD in clinical psychology, has been a professional dominant in the Bay Area for 20 years. One of her specialties is the fantasy of feminine transformation, erotic embarrassment, forced feminization, and general gender fuckery. You might say she creates a sensual space to play with gender, and on the show, we delved into the more intellectual and political sides of that subject. It must be said up top that this interview was conducted with a consuming love of the feminine, as well as utmost respect for trans women and other gender nonconforming folks. So, spritz on five drops of Chanel number no. five and pick up your cashmere from the dry cleaners as we discuss why are people into cross-dressing? Hi, Morning. Oh my god, are we on the view? I know I feel like we could be on the view. I've got my I've got my um Spanky's restaurant coffee mug. <laughs> yeah, I've got my unicorn right. uh, four barrel coffee. I, 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 I have a little, little bit here. of uh San Francisco. I, I saw there. that. I was like, you're bringing a little bay to the coffee table for me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you're so welcome. God, you know, I was uh, I was hanging out with my, my mom who watches a lot of daytime TV and uh, she turns on the TV and uh, it's the view and it's Whoopi Goldberg and Rosie O'Donnell and two other 
older ladies. And, and I was like, Mom, half these ladies are lesbians. And, <laughs> and she was like, oh, I didn't know that Whoopi Goldberg was little. And then Queen Latifah comes on. Right. And then Ellen comes on. And I'm like, well. You're like, no, Ma, pretty much this is Dicorama. Yeah. Like, are you, watching? you know, I mean, I guess I guess if my mom is going to be watching TV all day, maybe so it's great. fine that she's watching just a bunch of showbiz dykes telling her what to think. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. So we're not so far off. <laughs> you know, we're everywhere. This is what we do. We quietly infiltrate media. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We look just the same as any other any other showbiz lady. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, Morgana, you know, this is so this is so nice. I was just saying that um, a lot of the people that I have over are um, old friends or, or colleagues, but this is actually the first time that we've met. But I sort of feel like we've, 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 our, we've been like ships in the night, we obviously. We satellited each other, and we know all the same folks, and yeah. I've certainly been a great admirer of the podcast, oh, and follow you, you on Twitter. Oh, and great. It's a way that right, social media can make us feel like we know people before uh-huh. we've even sat down to chat with them. So. But even when you, so you emailed me, mm-hmm. um, and saying that you were going to be in New York, and, and all of a sudden, when, and I, I started stalking you, and, <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, your, your plays that you have in, in San Francisco, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, but, and you've been here, and you have your thumb in this pie, uh-huh. and I've I've heard that name, and also Google image searching you is a funny <laughs> is a funny thing. A lot of like a lot of a lot of fan art, of, like yeah. medieval fan <laughs> art, and a lot of me, and then a lot of like airbrushed pictures from exactly. the of Avalon. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, with, with leathery wings. Totally wear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, but in any case, um, so. Uh, How how do you identify professionally a professional BDSM, a professional mistress? Uh, uh, A professional dominant. Yeah. BDSM professional. uh, And then also as a uh, a kink consultant, counselor, and educator. So that's that's sort of the, the full. Do range you, of hats I wear. Is there, um, do you get a lot of, uh, a lot of clients for that? A lot of, like, kink consultation I stuff? I do. I have a really amazing group of folks that I get to work with, and I'm actually, this is, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, I'll give you a ping for when my, my site is finally going to be up, but I've, I've been working on a separate site, loveyourkink.com, Love which is, uh, specifically for the consultation and counseling work that I do. Cool. Uh, which was really a kind of natural outgrowth of folks who came to me for ritual play, f- really mm. also wanting to be able to unpack some of the things that they were interested in or skills build or strategize around how to bring more of that into their personal relationships and their personal yeah. lives. And so that's a, it's a wonderful crossover. It's a great group of folks I get to work with. That's great. I bet you get a lot more diversity in your clientele with that than just sort of the... Um, I imagine you probably get more women. I mean, I do. And I like to say, I get to work with the best people on earth. Like, I just have the most spectacular folks who come to me to either do a piece of ritual work, like session play work, or to do counseling or consultation. I have, over the course of my 20 years in playing professionally... That's right, cons- 20 years. Yeah, right? I know. I know. Since Brontosaurus has walked the earth, oh, I've been please. swinging away. <laughs> but it, I, I've consistently had upwards of a third of the folks that I work with being women, um, and included in that just... Fuck, that's amazing. And that's great, right? And then within that, a lot of LGBTQ spectrum folks, yeah. and then also a lot of couples. Yeah. And so... Um, 
I would say, I mean, I was mentioning to you earlier when you were um, making me a cup of coffee, thank you. You know, I always try to do that. That a lot of what I do, um, I like to consider what I do to be sort of relational SM. Mm -hmm. So folks come to me because they're interested in working with somebody who they will make a a good interpersonal connection with, an authentic connection, that still happens within this kind of clean, boundaried, um, specific space. People love boundaries. They don't realize it. Yeah, boundaries are good. Really, boundaries are so good. They are. They help us get what we want. Yeah. Uh, they help us like feel safe and appreciate the things that we're getting as we're getting them. Exactly. And I often think about the, the dungeon and professional providers as being kind of a laboratory for real life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you get when you visit a professional is, A, you get your needs met. Mm-hmm. And it's good to get your needs met because when we're needy, we kind of like, you know, People can smell oh, that horrible. on us. Oh, God. So it's, it's never worst. great to try to go out there and, like, yeah, date or find relationships from the space of, like, scarcity and not getting your needs met. Right, right, right. And then um, I think it's also a place to practice our... Um, our, our interpersonal skill set, mm-hmm. right? Like how uh, it's one thing to have these fantasies, and we tend to fantasize in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And fantasizing is an inherently narcissistic act, yeah. Because we're fantasizing all the roles, right? Yeah, There's right. nobody in our fantasy but us. Even if like there's a, a mistress or a master, we're still kind of them. Like you know that scene in Being John Malkovich mm-hmm. where he goes inside his own head, yes. and everybody's got a Malkovich face, and it's all so they can cool. say is Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, yeah. <sighs> it's, it's it's like that, but probably with like you know panties. And handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get, really bring that image all the way out. Yeah. And so, yeah, when you, when you visit a professional provider, when you like the kind of work I like to do is resourcing folks so that they know mm. more about themselves, they know more about what happens when that fantasy, that internalized fantasy, gets to be then like externalized and yeah. done with another human, and um, and then hopefully set them up to either really utilize professional space as like self-care mm-hmm. right much mm-hmm. like i mean i don't bug my friends trying to get them to like rub my back and feet all the time i have places i go to for that right and and i like right. going there because it can be just about me right. and i feel like the dungeon the professional dungeon professional boudoir is is like that yeah um but it's also a space where you can then learn a bit more about okay, what is the thing I want to bring out there and like foster with another human being as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a very long answer to what I do we call you? I love I love long answers oh, in general. I love long answers, and I loved that long answer. Well, then you um, and I are going to get along famously. Yes. <laughs> um, good thing we have all the digital tape in the world. Um, and. Um, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, because you also have your PhD. I have a PsyD, actually. It's the, cl- it's the clinical version oh. of the PhD. So okay. it's um, people, not mice. <laughs> That's good, because I... Oh, God, I'm imagining, like, little mice in corsets and stilettos. Right. Me and in my white lab coat standing over them. <laughs> I mean, that's a good sign. What happens when you put the... Oh, man. Um, we get Art Spiegelman to, to draw it. Anyway. Oh, um, yes. I have a new life goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so people, not mice, mm-hmm. which is great because people can consent. Um uh, and so I, I'm curious, uh, and it's in psychology, clinical psychology, clinical yes. psychology. Okay, and, and so my postdoctoral specialty was in forensics. So it's it's and specifically the the forensic work that I did was with folks that had pretty serious criminal compulsive sexual behavior problems. So I worked uh-huh. with folks that were on the sex offender registry in California. Yeah, and um, did the kind of court mandated treatment that those folks are required to do upon release. Um, which is really, um, yeah, it, there's some powerful work there in terms of understanding the roots of some of the unhealthiest 
um, sexual behavior that we see in, in communities. I'm so curious if you, um, this could be a whole podcast, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm curious if you worked with people who you felt had been wrongfully pathologized. Yeah, no, never. Okay. And this is, and this is, um, I, I, you know, I have many... Do you understand what I mean I by that? I yeah. Do. I have many, many serious critiques of the criminal justice system. I believe in the abolition of the prison industrial complex as it exists today. We're also going right? to be along just All fine. of these things. Yeah, yeah. And um, I certainly work with many people who were... Um, pathologized for being same-gender loving or gay mm. or having alternative sexual desire, yeah. none of their offenses were related to just being one or two standard deviations off of the kind of normative sexual bell curve. They all had to do with a- actual boundary violations yeah. and, yeah. Um, and significant acts of non-consent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. That's like I had. I've had no experience of of anything other than that. I do think that like you know what sends people to prison is poverty and yeah. race. What sends you to prison is your is a public defender and not having the the resources um, to uh, you know. I mean like I could I could mention certain California based white celebrities that had sex with teenagers on camera and are not on the registry and are, you know, still making right. very successful films and television right. shows. Right. Oh, God. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm full of curiosity about so much of that stuff, but um, let's, let's, let's pivot a little bit. <laughs> I, I had a... Um, uh, I had a question, which was some of the um, some of your interviews that I've read and listened to kind of gave me the impression that you are out about your um, professional BDSM work in mm-hmm. your clinical psychology world. Is that correct? I am. Let's see. I have. This is a part of where good boundaries come in. Yeah. So I finished my program several years ago. I finished my postdoctoral work, and um, I was certainly out to all of my clinical supervisors and all mm. of the folks who needed to know. Right. Everybody who license was on the line because I was working under them. Yeah. It was important for me that they understood. And then the the nice offset of that is I've done clinical training for um, graduate programs and for community-based clinics that are training upcoming clinicians Mm. on topics of BDSM, polyamory, sex work, and broader kind of um, sexual wellness issues uh, for years. And I did that before I went to graduate school, but then certainly once I, I've kind of completed my program, it, I was able to bring a lot more clinical expertise to that. Um, and it's been, it's very important for me to keep those boundaries sort of straight and, and separate. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I'm not working clinically right now, one of the reasons why I'm much more in the kind of public sphere talking about my work doing kink consultation and kink counseling, is that I really love being able to bring that expertise that I've got mm. and apply it as educational information mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the work that I do now um, in a way that's not confusing. So I'm not a licensed psychotherapist. I work uh, with folks that I will often refer to therapists for like traditional therapy work. And then the people that work with me get to have the sort of benefit of my couple decades of hands-on experience and also the fact that I, I know quite a lot about... Yeah. Um, about how our minds and our psyches work, and I've got a good um, resource and reference bank for that. I bet you'd stay five steps ahead of everybody constantly because of being able to 
predict their their behavior but uh, yeah but it seems like both your 20 years experience and and then your clinical psychology uh mastery uh uh would would help you it's i feel like it's it's a good it's a good toolkit and i also believe that people are uh, experts in their own experience yeah right and so i I don't buy into this sort of a therapist or a pro dom or anyone else could know more about you than you know about yourself yeah i feel like a really good professional provider can ideally help facilitate uh exploration and Mm -hmm. foster sort of reflection and introspection in a way that would be hard to do in a vacuum Mm -hmm. so you've Mm -hmm. got that kind of extra person with a little bit of an aerial view Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i i definitely trust people's self-knowledge and their expertise in their own process and I think particularly with my own experience being a woman and living in LGBT community um, I belong to several subgroups that have historically been told we know more about you than you know about yourselves well I mean being a yeah uh, being a sex I don't know if you identify as a sex worker but I do certainly yeah but also certainly being a sex worker where everybody's always trying to tell us us. yeah everybody's telling us what we are and are not and what we're feeling right yeah it's that whole kind of yeah false consciousness argument so yeah so that's I think and it's I think I think it's empowering a lot of folks that'll come in the door to work with me are saying please explain me to myself <laughs> and and often that work is about like saying I I will totally sit with you while you do this work yeah but it's important that we all get to feel you know sort of empowered that we can know ourselves yeah and that all the seeds we need are already in there they just might need a little water and some sunlight and mm-hmm. a little fertilizer but what we all do contain <laughs> can play Mozart to them right yeah. it's usually Chopin but often okay often sure Mozart. there you go yeah there's no accounting for taste um uh well clearly that um uh makes you really good at your job um, I think it makes me decent at my job right yeah. I have a lot of job satisfaction again I get That's to work with great, great people and I, I love, um, I feel very fortunate to get to do work that I love as much as I do. Amazing. Um, well, I think that, uh, I think it's really great that you are able to um, bring both of those worlds together and, and uh, sort of fuse it and make a, a sustainable practice for yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm so curious what kind of, it sounds like, your great boundaries um, have made it so that you haven't experienced um, too much stigma um, or, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about people potentially losing their licenses, um, right. um, uh, you know, and there you have a great website with pictures of yourself that show your face. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I'm just curious if you have uh, like anxiety or uncertainty or fear um, around mm. um, the blurring of those lines. It's or do you feel like kind of in control of them? I feel very in control of them. And a part of that is that I am aware of the fact that there are certain things that I really love doing in my current practice. Um, and that includes being able to work with people in hands-on exploration through kink right. that would not sit well with doing a kind of traditional, like um, having a traditional talk therapy practice, even though I would right. still have those two things be completely separate tracks. Yeah. Um, and so I've chosen at this point in my life to just focus on the BDSM aspects of my work. And at some point I might make a kind of transition and decide to just, you know, go, go be a therapist lady somewhere. Um, but that's not the work I do now. And folks who do consulting um, or counseling with me 
um, get this in writing, right? I've got informed consent yeah. paperwork that folks sign and understand quite clearly that I am not working with them as a medical professional, mm. that I'm not working to diagnose or treat any illness as sort of set out by the APA, yeah. um, and that we just have a really good, clear understanding of where my expertise is going to end and mm-hmm. where I'm going to suggest that they might seek out um, an additional kind of professional. Yeah. Um, and then also, I am proud as hell of my community. And yeah. I do feel like a lot of my work is trying to help instill a sort of positivity and pride in your kink. Mm-hmm. And I want to role model that. Yeah. Right? So I can hardly be role modeling, here's how to have an integrated, positive, healthy, kinky life with a like black bar across my face on my website. Right. Uh, or kind of fuzzing things out. Right, and so right. I do put myself out there in part because at this point in my life as well, this is the thing I've done. Right? With the whole of my adult life. It's 20 years. I started playing professionally when I was 20, mm-hmm. 21. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is, this is a hugely integrated part of my life. And I like to work with folks to help them integrate it into theirs as well. Recognizing that I might be living at one, you know, sort of extreme of the spectrum. I play a lot more than the average you know, than the, the average frog. And, and so it's, <laughs> I think it's, um, but it's still, I'm trying to help role model a kind of um, self-acceptance. For me, this it's never been as much an issue with stigma and doing professional SM helps with that, right? Because our stig- stigma increases with physical contact and nudity, yeah. right? So I'm not naked and I'm not having sex with the folks that I'm working with. Right. I'm fully clothed and I'm engaged in something that's really exploratory and, um, and has boundaries that actually fall... Um, outside of what we would call prostitution, right? So that I'm not engaging in illegal activities. So my stigma goes way, way, way down. Right, right, right. I have to deal more with, like, fascination, um, oh, which is exhausting. Sure, sure. <laughs> so yeah. I will often be, at, you know, in you know, cocktail party situations where um, I'm dealing with, you know, kind of maybe more general public. I'm going to sometimes not divulge in great detail what I do professionally because I'm off the clock and I don't necessarily want to ask a th- answer a thousand questions about right. how and they're fascinating my job is. And they're they're rarely interesting questions either. Well, they're interesting to the people who are asking them and if they'd like to schedule a consultation I'd be right. really happy exactly. to work with them on that. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, if people at cocktail parties would um, would ask me, would ask themselves, what does, what does she want to talk about about this subject that would be illuminating and exciting for me because I've never talked to a dominatrix before. Uh, that that would be great because I I love the sound of my own voice. You know, <laughs> I love to talk about BDSM. I love to talk about sex work, but it's it's always it's always those preliminary questions. So yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, here's here's my book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. The book, and here's here's a, actually here's a resource guide. And if you are really interested, here's some places you can volunteer. Anyway, um, I have one more question about your job, and then we're going to get into the subject of the podcast. Excellent. Um, uh, And my my question is, what's your secret? Um, (laughs) uh, You want all the clean living, but in all honesty, what do you think the the secret is to um, uh, having continued to do a job for 20 years that um, many people burn out on after a session, a month, five years, you know, uh, you know, even, even 10 years. Um, what, you know, do you, do you have a secret? I mean, I've, I've thought about this a lot and maybe especially this year, like I'll come up on my 20 years in March, Mm -hmm. right. Of of 2015. So this is, this, this year has been a very kind of reflective year in that sense. I think it's a few things. I work, 
I'm very selective about the folks that I work with. Yeah. And pretty early on in my practice, I made a decision to not try to just be like an all-purpose dominatrix, but that I was interested in having a professional practice that focused on things that were genuine fetishes and passions for me and places of connection that I was really wanting to do work with folks, places where I felt like I can offer people something in this realm. Yeah. And it's very rewarding for me as well. So I've got, and if, you know, folks who go to my very heady, wordy website that does not offer a lot in the way of like visual porn, right? It's great. People who like to read. It's got some pictures. It's got 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 pictures there. There's, it's not just like, here's, here's like 5,000 pictures in the gallery. Project what you will and give me a call. It's very like, this is what I do. Yeah. And so I get to work with people that are interested in the kinds of SM I like to practice. Yeah. And um, I turn away a fair number of folks very politely um and and only do the work with the the people that i feel like okay you're you and i are are interested in doing the same thing yeah um i have good balance in my personal and professional life yeah and when you're first playing professionally i think often a lot of us start in our 20s as well yeah and so you're also like going to a play party like every other day and you know have like 30 different people you're playing with personally you can burn the candle at both ends exactly and you know like you've got the the energy and i think at that point like at that age we have cartilage not bone yet right like we can just kind of bounce around (laughs) without injury and as i've gotten older i i um i value my professional practice because it takes care of a tremendous amount of my own like desire for kink which is great Right, like there's ways in which I can sit back and say, "Look at that bondage," or "Look at that like perfectly transformed girl," Mm -hmm. and you know, "Look at that you know really well striped bottom," and have Mm. the all the feelings that you get as a dominant, as a top, as a sadist, and be like very satisfied with that. Yeah, and then have a really like you know full, connected, and happy private life that is less about going out and partying and doing a a ton of public stuff. I've, I've been observing this about myself lately. Is that um, is that that balance is good? Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, I just think we have temperaments, and I have the kind of temperament that is well suited for this. Cool. I was talking with a colleague of mine who I've known for twenty years, who's taken very long breaks, mm. and she was like, "Yeah, you know, even when we first started out, like you just always loved a session." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I just always loved a session. It's just, it's worked well." But like good balance, good personal relationships good boundaries and really wonderful people to work with cool you should write like a self-help book right (laughs) (laughs) how how to be your best dom (laughs) oh god i think i've seen that book but you should write a good one um um amazing so one of the things that you were you were saying that you you chose things that um that hold um uh interest and fascination to you to offer um uh professionally um uh, and one of the things that you offer um, is cross-dressing um, mm. or um, another way that I've heard you put it was uh, gender transformation. Gender, um, ma- gender transformation, manipulation, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So we're going to talk about why are people into cross-dressing. Yes. And th- I think before we even get into exploring why people are into it, um, I'd love to... to talk about why the term cross-dressing is so outdated <laughs> yeah um I, and i you know I, it, it's it's concise mm-hmm. and i think that it's translatable mm-hmm. uh you know so it's a good jumping off point mm-hmm. um uh but you know i mean just from the the basic uh uh 
premise of crossing a binary, right. you know, I mean, that's, you know, I don't believe in a gender binary. I feel like increasingly um, the world is accepting more and more now that we're past the transgender tipping point. Right. Thank you, Time Magazine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, glad that's over. Yeah, gosh. And we burst through the glass ceiling right. and everything's fine now. Um, yeah. yeah, no, but, uh, but at, it, at the very least, God, I was just, uh, I was just listening to... Terry Gross interviewing um, uh, what is the name of uh, the woman who directed and wrote the show Transparent Jill Soloway yeah Jill Soloway it was almost like Terry Gross was intentionally consistently misgendering the the character I haven't actually watched Transparent yet are you saying yet. Terry Gross conducted a less than satisfactory interview I'm shocked it was because shocking she's known for her prowess as an interviewer <laughs> I mean, she's a great interviewer, but you can't she... see my sarcastic face in a podcast. <laughs> I'm making my sarcastic face now. I mean, I think she. I think she's a. Um, you know, Terry Gross is is an example of somebody who is so infuriating to me because she is very good at her craft, mm. um, and you know, she is this this mainstream. Um, presence that is influencing how people think yeah. and talk about culture and sometimes I think she does it on purpose like, right. so she was She's like I'm going to represent the lowest common denominator exactly here I mean, by the way in this I'm completely dashing all hopes of ever being on fresh air right now so, <laughs> I'm like, by all means let's trash talk Terry Gross on the podcast hereby solidifying that I will never get to be fuck it on fresh air fuck it <laughs> yeah she um uh, yeah, and Jill Soloway, bless her, you know, so this is two cis yeah. women, you know, talking about yeah. this show Transparent, and, you know, and also talking about things like, you know, gender-neutral pronouns they, and, and, and all of this different stuff, and she just would not stop yeah. misgendering Moira, who's um, uh, the Jeffrey Tambor's character right, the female in... protagonist. Yeah, of, um, of Transparent, and then she was misgendering um, Jill Soloway's parent. Oh, yeah. Like intentionally, and I was just like, it, yeah, uh, I wouldn't have made it through that interview. But <laughs> listening, listen, I'm I'm kind of a masochist in that way, where it's like I I read New Yorker articles and New York Times articles, uh, and listen to Fresh Air just because I feel like I need to know that this is the like microaggression. Right. This is what this is what the mainstream is doing right now. So let's yeah. See. And this main and by mainstream we're talking about the left, right? So right, but that's right. A, that's exactly it's the worst kind of neoliberalism that is yeah. like. Yeah, hiding Extremely, bigotry yeah, under very well intention, really not doing the work. Well, and so I think what we're doing here, and can we just say, I'm going to take a moment, all of you crossdressers <laughs> listening to this podcast, clutching your panties, who've gone through like 20 minutes of us talking about everything but crossdressing. Well done, you're doing you're doing very good. We're going to get you some sugar. Um, I think the thing that's true is that we cannot talk about crossdressing without kind of acknowledging that the gender binary is like palm olive and we're all soaking in it. Mm. And it's really challenging for those of us <laughs> that reject a gender binary and are very, you know, kind of, if not queer and trans savvy, then actually living in those communities. Yeah. And then playing with these themes and topics that can, in fact, really be gender reductionist. And mm. so I, I work very hard to be mindful of that in my 
in my language and in my capacity for being gender inclusive in the way that I'm talking about things because it's important and um, also there will be times when I am like oh yeah I'm struggling to figure out exactly what the language to describe this is because particularly in my professional practice the overwhelming number of folks that I'm working with are cis men Mm. right so they're they're men who were born assigned male at birth and have continued to identify as men in terms of their own gender expression who are interested in wearing women's clothes and or occupying some kind of feminine persona or female identification in a time-limited, generally eroticized way. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Great definition. So that would be the the nut of the folks that I'm working with who I adore. Yeah, there's a pun there. Um, The the well-duct-taped nut (laughs) that (laughs) I am working with. And, and And I adore these folks and and all the kind of really rich backstory that folks will bring in with their love of um, feminization or cross-dressing or gender manipulation. And then we also know that in community, there's so many folks who are gender transgressing all the time right. or who express and experience themselves on a spectrum of gender. So rather than this kind of rigid separation between male and female and this kind of naturalization of being assigned male at birth and being assigned female at birth as meaning men and women are the only two categories, that right. um, there's an increasing appreciation of the way that social socially conscribed masculine and feminine traits can be expressed and embodied by anyone, right? Right. Um, And so I think that, like, heterosexual men who've been more metrosexual Mm. or, like, the way that men, like, cis men, straight cis men, gay cis men are invited to participate more in rituals of grooming and presentation Mm. has everything to do with this. Yeah. And I think that um, certainly the way that we embrace gender nonconformativity in youth and the way that Mm. um, gender nonconforming kids are increasingly given permission to express their gender identity and then to even express that into a transgender identity is something really remarkable about this time we're living in. Um, Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, we have a long way to go, but it's definitely, it's, we're, we're, we're getting there slowly. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's the field. So like I often think about the folks I'm working with as all occurring on this like broader field where there's all this other gender stuff going on. So what is sexy about cross-dressing? What isn't sexy about cross-dressing? So I'm going to use the term cross-dressing. We're going to just define it for the, yeah. the length of this podcast. Great. As being this activity that cis men do that involves them getting to put on lady clothes. Yeah. Um, like, you know, kind of socially stereotypic classic lady clothes. Right, right, um, right recognizing that there are many other ways of dressing outside of the gender you were assigned at birth and that like everyone's invited to this party. Does that sound like a fine way of setting it up? Um, So I think there's several things that are sexy about it. And the things that guys will express to me is that a, often it's a very deeply held and um, long held desire that it's something mm. that came up for them around the time that they entered pubescence that along with their understanding of their own like sexuality and eroticism yeah. there was this understanding of like the album cover that was you know tucked away that had the woman in the white satin dress with the opera gloves and those and it wasn't the sexy woman it was the dress in the opera gloves right. that was the thing that they wanted or like right. dressing in secret with like mom's clothes or sister's clothes or girl 
girlfriend's clothes. Right. Um, so I think that there's a part of it that can be about the taboo and about the gender transgression. I think certainly there's a tactile, sensual quality to it. Yeah. That, you know, guys get the short end of the stick in terms of clothes getting to feel really ritualized and intense. Yeah. And then there's also um, high femme clothing like corsetry and stockings and mm-hmm. garters and slips and high heels mm-hmm. that are in and of themselves kind of bondage apparatus. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So there's, there's like this really like sexy component that's about your clothes being an element of submission. A lot of times what I'm working with are folks whose whose desire for a feminine cross-dressing expression is coupled with their desire for submission. Uh Or humiliation. Yeah, or humiliation. And I would suggest, and this is the folks I'm seeing, right? My sample's skewed. But for me, it's always this erotic embarrassment because I don't do degradation or humiliation play per se. But certainly erotic embarrassment is really played with. So What, uh, uh, What is the difference between humiliation, degradation, and embarrassment. Right? So if we plot it on a spectrum that's going to be highly overdetermined, and this will be my my spectrum, we all get to have our own. <laughs> yeah. But I think about degradation um, as being any act that's really seeking to annihilate or undo the person. <sighs> right? That it's really about obliterating this person's oh, man, self. I... I just will you come back and talk about everything? <laughs> I will come back and talk about everything. Okay, good. Because Terry Gross isn't going to have me, so Fuck this is no. not coming back. Fuck that. <laughs> and then I think about um, erotic embarrassment. If we think about things like on a spectrum with many points, erotic embarrassment is being something that's more about exploiting the experience of embarrassment, mm-hmm. which is an extraordinarily common human emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for erotic and purposes. Char- supercharged and supercharged. strong. And if we think about embarrassment in terms of like physiological states embarrassment is a form of arousal oh man it's so true right like all the neurons are firing uh, high and our blood pulse, exactly our autonomic nervous system kind of goes and you get really us. focused and concentrated on what's happening exactly and, yeah. exactly so there's I think often we think about it like oh I'm embarrassed and and there's good reasons why we seek to avoid embarrassment embarrassment is one of those social cues that lets us know if we're doing something wrong right right so right. that we you know work well with others right, right? it's right, one right. of the things that differentiates us from squirrels Right. But I, I think there's nothing wrong with our erotic experience of embarrassment because it is a heightened physiological state. So I'll often hear folks being like, why do I get off on being embarrassed? And I'm like, well, why shouldn't you? Yeah. Like there's, you know, this is, it's a state of, um, a physiological arousal. That also, when you're being embarrassed intentionally by someone, you are the object and focus of their attention. Yeah, sure. It's very connected, right? There's an intimacy to yeah. being embarrassed. And we're doing this in the context of safe, sane, consensual, and risk-aware right. power exchange. Right. So that the other thing that's really intrinsic in erotic embarrassment is that the person who's embarrassing you is not seeking to annihilate you. That they are, in right. fact, seeking to keep you safe. Now, I think there are people that feel the arousal and the, and the subsequent catharsis with language or actions that are more humiliating, right. that do play with that nihilistic edge. Right, right, right. And that there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unhealthy about that, and that right, does right, not right. necessarily represent sort of a, a state of unwellness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, think it's, I do think it represents a state of edge play. And I think that there's a particular kind of catharsis that happens with that, mm-hmm. and that we could still put that in the safe, sane, consensual, and risk-aware kind of you know, column or on that end of the spectrum, I don't experience the, the positive cathartic um, 
exchange mm-hmm. when I'm using that language that plays with that edge of, of annihilating someone more. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I enjoy it around the things that are loving and playful and seeking to exploit. Sort of teasing. Yeah, it's, it's teasing and also that there's an inherent value to it. So I'm not ever interested in someone being worthless in front of me. Right. I'm interested in someone being extraordinarily worthful to the point that they might become a toy object or pet, but still mm. something that's mine that I'm going to keep safe and that's going to be precious. It might be precious and completely ensconced in pink ruffles, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that might be a really disempowering experience for the person who's there. For me, it's one of saying, well, who, who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want a man in... Um, Carters and stockings. That's the way I think men should come. <laughs> that, that is my ideal expression right there. Not that, you know, now all my fellows who, like, just want to be tied up or spanked are going to be like, oh, she wants me in panties. And it's true, but I won't put you in panties. Unless, I mean, it is true that everyone who came in, I would be happy with panties. But um, what's also true is that a part of why that's working is that I know that that's something they secretly desire. Right. right? So you have this perfect sort of circuit of someone's sublimated desire, someone's repressed desires, the embarrassment that men in particular get, right? And this is this is pop psychology, but we kind of see it again and again. Yeah. That um, culturally speaking, in the West, what women, f- what men fear from women is being embarrassed, right? Being humiliated, and what women fear from men is being raped and killed, right? There's this like real difference in what we fear from the other gender. The way that I think works out very well, right? I I I can just know that's part of how the world is set up and know that while I don't relate to this fear of being humiliated or embarrassed because I kind of have a bigger ticket item on my radar when men come to me and I am embarrassing them or undoing them with that there's tremendous power and I find that really beautiful and I like to be really ethical and humane in deeply exploiting that I mean it's kind of if you think about it in the sense that a woman embarrassing you is comparable to men uh, perpetrating violence against you. It makes you realize that that psychological embarrassment is just for that to be just as strong as the mm. things that that w- that in general you're saying that women fear from men. That yeah, it makes sense to me that. Um, that yeah. that is a hell of a mindfuck. Yeah. Well, and it's economies of scale, right? So right. It's, I don't think they're necessarily commensurate, but that, you know, when you survey folks, these yeah. are the things that tend to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that embarrassment, I think, can be extremely sexy. Yeah. And then I think there's this other aspect that's around um, the eroticization of stereotypic feminine states. Right. And this is very specifically about being slutty. And right. this is where I think cross-dressing gets really complicated for women. Right. Because most women don't find it humiliating to dress in women's clothes. And most women are not... When you ask, what is your experience of being a woman? They're not going to lead with, well, I feel really slutty and trampy all the time, and I love to suck a lot of cock. <laughs> right? Like, this is not... Women don't lead with this foot. Our experience as women... All kinds of women, right? I'm including cis and trans women as women, right? This is one category. Um, Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, right? Like That we don't tend to define our experience in terms of our libido. Right, or our availability to be seen in only in terms of our... Uh, yeah. Libido, right, right, or, or like our capacity for sexual use, our availability right, for right. sexual use by others, right, exactly. So I think what I, the way I kind of translate this, 
is that often it's um, it's a language deficit. It's that mm. when men are describing to me their fantasies of being feminized, and I ask, what does that mean to you? And they say, well, I like to be embarrassed by being made to wear women's clothing, and then I like to be really, really slutty. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that they are limited in their language of expressing what being feminine means, and they're expressing their fantasy, which mm-hmm. is, right. I want to be able to experience being hypersexualized and objectified right. in this way that's got... Uh, um, gender markers that I am forbidden to take and that in fact there are strict and severe penalties for being in the world. Men are not allowed to be feminine in the world. We've broken through that a little bit but I am allowed as a woman to occupy much more masculine space. Also if you are a man who has never had the opportunity to bottom sexually mm-hmm. and you know not even necessarily saying that any of your um, that I don't know whether or not this is something that any that you do with any of your clients, but um, even the even the potentiality or the teasing threat of taking in the ass, sucking cock, um, uh, is. I mean, for many men, you know, they would not even know how to conceptualize sex without being the person who gets the erection and sticks it in the hole, right? right? right. So being able to experience. Uh, sex in a different way Definitely. and if o- the only way that they know how to ask for that is saying well I want to be a woman mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that what you're saying is true that probably more of what they want is behind that language deficit Yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily that they are being sexist sometimes it is <laughs> but, um, but more often than not in my experience as well it's like if you really broke it down with them they were like oh well I, when I when I say I want to be a woman, what I really mean is this. Yes, that's it. And I feel like I have a clear understanding of that. I mean, the, the folks that I'm working with, and, and you know, I am, we're talking about, about cis guys. Um, my relationship playing with trans men is really different. Yeah. Um, right? For a lot of reasons, and in ways I can't generalize. Yeah. But I do get to generalize cis men a little bit more. <laughs> and, and that's just because that's, they're, I... They're fine. They, they're, can, they can handle a they little can handle bit of that. They've got yeah. the... They got the um, they got the cultural resources to handle being generalized. So boys, <laughs> I'm going to generalize you a little bit. But I think that the cross-dressing fetish, the desire to be feminized, is yeah. a tremendously profound one. Yeah. I also think all men want it in the ass. And if they don't, they should. <laughs> That's my soundbite. You can tweet that. And there's a reason for this, and that is that it is a nerve-ending, rich, exquisite area, and men are truncated. Guys, you get the short end of the stick, and it's a stick that they won't put in you. Because <laughs> they... have a flirt base. Right, it, 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 but only with a flange. Um, but that men get really railroaded into this experience of eros that underutilizes their bodies. And so I do think there's all kinds of things that men um, would enjoy sexually that that heterosexual men get deprived of. Gay men do, too, actually. And I get to play with not as many gay men, but gay men, for sure, who, again, get railroaded into, um, like... 
lots of penetration. Yeah, top or bottom identities. And that's it, right? And instead of getting to understand the whole of their body as an erogenous zone and the ways in which multiple layers of sensation and sensory deprivation can be, can greatly enhance eroticism and the fact that, like, you know, cis dudes are anatomically set up to really enjoy anal sex. And I'm going to do a plug for Charlie Glickman and his amazing book. I love plugging Charlie Glickman. I'm going to plug Charlie Glickman and I won't be the first. Charlie, I'm sorry, sweetheart. That was, that was, I was going to say a low blow. Um, But Charlie's, Charlie's a good friend of mine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We actually lived together in college. Oh, because, amazing. Because all kinky people are exactly one degree of separation off. Um, and... Um, and I think that his, um, and I think that his book, the um, oh, the ultimate guide to prostate pleasure. Which I had Aislinn Nemersian, who's the co-writer, yes. uh, yeah, who's of also that amazing on yeah. um, on the podcast, right. actually. So, and so we're at this place where we, I think, guys now who just want that experience can ask for it a little bit more, right? But certainly, um, that combining of social cues around occupying the hyper-feminine right. and being penetrated right. is, I think, a tremendous sensory vacation. And who wouldn't want that? Oh, what a beautiful And especially for... And, you know, there's the stereotype about the mantle of masculinity and what men are asked to do in culture in terms of control and running things. So much responsibility. It's they responsibility. just need to kick back need to kick and back. have a wine spritzer. And by kick back, I mean kick back and a pair of heels. Yeah. Um, but that there's, I understand on a sensory level yeah. what, what that draw can be. I mean, they're fetishizing, they're over-idealizing, they're you know, thinking grass is greener. and I don't know about that entirely. I think a lot of the folks I work with fully understand that their erotic attraction to a hyperfeminine expression yeah. is just that. That that the thing that they might look at and really love isn't the thing that they have that it's not what they married, it's not who they're going out with, it's not who they mm. work with. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't experience the people that I work with I having those know, opinions about women. It seems you uh, you attract uh a really high caliber of uh, like I said, I work with the best folks. Yeah. I work with the best folks, um, and I get to have conversations with folks around this. And, and you know, this is also we live in a we live in a deeply misogynist culture. So we're working within like this. We don't we don't get to change the um, the context in which we work. We do get to reject the premise of certain arguments. Yeah, but I understand as well that um, we're limited by the language that we're given in all of this. So do most people who come to see me get a little like gender lecture? Yeah, <laughs> they do. But I think but I, but I'm you know putting really really nice eye makeup on them while I do it, and we're getting to like occupy the space where I'm able to say here's what you're doing now here's the thing that I will notice when I'm cross-dressing when I'm when I'm feminizing I often go into like my own internal Catherine Hepburn (laughs) where I will find that I'm not that you know I'm, I'm past the age of getting to be you know 
particularly like trampy but I will find myself being like really in my inner like I am a sophisticated I'm a grown ass lady yeah and I'm gonna be here you know not necessarily in a pantsuit but probably like in a you know nice DVF wrap dress and some and some like stilettos putting someone in like the micro mini like I do not wear a skirt that doesn't hit my knees because again, I'm a grown ass lady, and yeah. mini skirts are like for men. Victoria's Secret, I cannot look in a Victoria's Secret and see anything that I would wear. Hmm. This is lingerie that was for me designed to be put on men because it's very like skimpy and lacy <laughs> and trampy. And I look at that and I'm like, no self respecting woman would wear this. But but you know, John over here, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. would look great in that. <laughs> So, I mean, uh, that's interesting. You know, uh, my experience in most of the dungeons that I've worked out of is that the cross-dressing room has a lot of hand-me-downs mm. and a lot of costume makeup that is maybe um, has been in the biz as long as you have. Yeah, like expired, <laughs> underpigmented eyeshadows. Yeah, that has that kind of... Yeah, none of that. A lot of off-gassing smells oh, and... Uh, yeah. um, so if somebody really wants a specific cross-dressing scene of humiliation and like cheap trollop, almost like clown forced feminization, like that's appropriate for that. But what you're part of what yeah. I'm hearing you say is that there's actually such a, a spectrum yeah. of what people want. And it, it stands to reason that different, people would have different tastes in the kinds of oh, definitely. femme persona that they would want to have. And some of them probably, I mean, and, uh, I've definitely met a lot of, um, you know, I've had a lot of cross-dressing clients who have a lot of different tastes and some of them come in and they like, don't, no, you know, a, like a, a dusty old slip from uh, Agent Provocateur, and right. like they don't, they don't even give a shit because they don't even have any taste, or it's uh, beside the point. Mm. But some people are like, I, I must have, yeah. you know, you must contour me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think of that as more being. Um, there's a tremendous kind of shame tax that happens with cross-dressing. Right. And this is not as much today. Back in, when I first started out, yeah. um, it, particularly for cross-dressers, right, if you wanted to feminize, you had to go to these specific sites or these specific shops, right. even, right? This is pre-internet age. Right. Where you would be given, like, these are the three heels that we have in a size that goes above a 12. Right. And here this is the, like, four shades of kind of coral lipstick. Uh-huh. And here's uh-huh. the one pancake makeup that's going to cover your kind of, you know, stubble. Right. And it's um, going to cost, like, $35 for the stick of makeup, you know, in 1990, because... <laughs> um, we know this is the only place you can get it. And and I think yeah. that a lot of folks that came of cross-dressing age in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s were also coming up at a time when the access to the means of production was <laughs> tremendously limited. Right, And right. you would go to these boutiques that would be, like, the only option for you was a pretty, like, slutty little miniskirt because right. that was the only thing or they carried. Maid, or a maid's or a costume. Or a French maid's costume. Yeah. And so I think a lot of folks, their fantasy came up along with, like, it's it's like a koi. It's going to grow to the size of the pond that it's in. Right. And the pond is made uniforms and, and miniskirts. And that's what was in the magazines Definitely. And, and the catalogs. Definitely. and. Yeah. And, and for a lot of folks, that's actually where it stays. Yeah. Um, but then 
what I feel like is really important is to bring a kind of um, accessory legitimacy to it, right? <laughs> so I have a very expansive wardrobe, and the things in my wardrobe are really good-looking. Yeah, and I they include, it. like, leather fetish wear, corsetry, skirts, heels, good lingerie. If something has a hole in it, it gets thrown out. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I buy new lingerie for the lingerie drawers, mm -hmm. right? They're mm -hmm. not hand-me-downs. They're yeah. things that are specifically purchased for the, you know, the the purpose of, of dressing up. Um, I've got great prom dresses and slips. I've got a lot of suiting. Um, the thing that's tricky in my closet, in my wardrobe, is constantly, like I'm always needing to annex La Maison, like an, an ad closet space, is that maintaining a wardrobe that'll fit a range of sizes can be challenging. Right. And so the thing that I always recommend, the thing that's ideal, is if you can actually maintain your own wardrobe um, and have the shoes that fit you perfectly, that you don't have to try to kind of go through my you know, two dozen pairs of shoes for that Cinderella moment. Yeah. But you know, like, no, actually, in Italian heels, I'm a size four, 43 <laughs> and a half. Or, you know, in the um, um, pleaser pumps, I'm a size 14. Yeah. And if it's, like, open-toed and open heel, I know my feet will fit into it. But if it's closed-toed and closed heel, it's going to be too, you know, short. And that you develop this understanding of what you fit into. Yeah. One of my favorite girls, Princess, who um, folks will maybe recognize from... Um, my Twitter feed, because I'll pop pictures of her up there sometimes, um, has this just gorgeous extensive wardrobe that she'll ship out to me. Yeah. So in advance of her coming for like these weekends of feminization, she'll send several boxes. I've got a portable garment rack that I will kind of put up in the salon yeah. and we'll hang, and, I'll, and the steamer, and we'll hang everything out, steam all the wrinkles out, and then get to really like luxuriate because you're dressing up for a reason. And, and I think even the folks that are just wanting a pair of panties and a, and a pair of stockings, those, those panties should be lovely. And yeah. the stockings should be lovely. Yeah. And I think that if folks haven't... Um, if, if When folks feel secretive or furtive or like they've got to just kind of like go and get their ya out quickly, yeah. then sometimes you do sort of settle for the hand-me-down stuff. Yeah. But when you're ready to, you know, kind of treat yourself... Um, I've never known anyone to say, oh, these panties are too nice. I'd be just as happy with <laughs> something that's, you know, that's kind of cheap can and cheerful. Please, yeah, can you please yeah. degrade me a little that's bit it. more? And I'm a, I'm a Sephora, you know, junkie. Like, I have a problem <laughs> with makeup. <laughs> and so this is where I also can really relate to girls, to the girls I'm dressing up. Right. Right, is that I, I love products, and I love the kind of ritual of... Um, you know, of washing your face and prepping your face and using makeup primers and and I've got a kit and I you know I, I I've got a certain amount of training in stage makeup from you know my my days so from back in the day. I'm really surprised. This is so I, yeah, me. Um, and so like it's nice being able to really put a face on because yeah. what you want is that that transformation moment is you want to look in the mirror and see that face. Right, so I often tell the story about how my mom was a Mary Kay lady, um, and so I like this is my root. So when I was young, she would have like you know the neighborhood ladies over for like little makeover and sales nights, right. and she had a ritual around it. And so I would help her prep the little pink trays, and oh she did a thing God. with like a hot washcloth, so everyone would kind of like wipe their faces down. Yes, and then her kit was actually all just paint tubes, right? Like what the sales ladies would kind of work off of were these tubes of paint that she would squish out onto the pink trays and then everyone would paint themselves up with this and then if they bought the eyeshadow it would come in the pretty like pink plastic packaging. Oh my god that is so rich. It was really rich and it was like arts and crafts like I'm a really crafty person and it felt like this really um yeah this wonderful you know kind of construction project 
And my favorite toy growing up was my like disembodied Barbie head <laughs> that you could yeah. like paint and, and play with the hair. And and so as a top, that's the thing I'm getting to do. It's very much like sculpture. Yeah. Where you're getting to take this person and create them into the image you want. And this is where my being um being queer, I think, really comes in because I know what it's like to respond erotically to another woman. So when I'm transforming someone, when I'm cross-dressing someone, I'm doing it so that I can key into them and feel that feminine. Like, I want to look at them and be like, yep, you are now my pretty little girl and I'm going to be, like, hot for you in this way that I am for, like, a, a cute girl sub. So you bring up queerness and uh, so much of what you're saying makes me think about how complex gender is. Mm. Um, well, I want to talk about femininity for a second, um, a little bit more in the abstract or a little bit more removed from a um, from sex and the body. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I... Uh, my, my gender is, uh, you know, I mean, I identify as a woman, um, uh, but I've, uh, you know, always been a little bit more like a butch, resting butch, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and when I, when I was younger, you know, my mom was not a Mary Kate, um, saleswoman, um, and I was sort of raised to think that, um, sh doing anything feminine, um, showed that I cared about my appearance and mm -hmm. that that made me vain right. and that that was bad. Yeah. Um, and uh, my sister, completely, bless her, completely rebelled against that and was very into makeup and very mm -hmm. into, um, into going to the mall. And, um, and, and, you know, I had this, I definitely grew up with this uh, erroneous idea that, you know, uh, I really wanted to be smart, so I had to be masculine around my right. intellectual identity, and right. I really wanted to have to show that I had good taste. So I definitely had to emphasize my masculine taste in music, my masculine right. taste in movies, um, and I wanted to be strong, so I had to de-emphasize any femininity. Um, and part of that was feeling force femmed in middle school, where mm -hmm. people were like, "Well, you're a girl, so you have to do this. Right. You're a girl, so you need to start wearing these kinds it's of clothes." It's picture day, so show up looking like this. Yeah, and also you have to behave in a certain way towards boys and all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, "Fuck all this." Yeah. And um, and it, it wasn't until my mid twenties when I started to meet queer femmes yeah. that I really um started to you know this like new light bulb went off for yeah. me where I was like oh wait a minute I'm a feminist mm -hmm. and I'm proud of being a woman and actually I've always really liked glitter right and I've always <laughs> and, I, and I like and I like wearing dresses sometimes I'm like if there's a dress I like I like to wear it mm -hmm. I'm not just like any any old dress mm -hmm. but like if I find a dress that I like I I'm, you know, as a sex worker, I learned how to walk in heels, and I'm, like, very proud of that, and, like, doing sex work, like, allowed me to, to tap into um, my inner femme and, like, let it out and start to develop my own style, but um, also because of all of this, um, so sort of being, like, a, like a resting butch, like, masculine of center person, mm -hmm. uh, when queer femmes or like my fellow sex workers um and or, or also in many cases cis fags and mm -hmm. uh, you know mm -hmm. uh, 
genderqueer and trans folks of, of, of all stripes would be like, oh, you're so useless with makeup, like, let's make you over, or mm. you don't know how to walk in heels, like, let's let's practice, or like, let me help you put together an outfit. It, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's a sexual fetish for me, mm-hmm. but it's, um, but it makes me feel like sort so sort of being like make uh, makeover topped mm-hmm. um, uh, makes me feel tingly. Yeah, it makes me feel relaxed. Yeah. It makes me feel like uh, the rest of the world melts away, which I'm always saying is like the goal of any kind of sex or kink is just yes. you forget your troubles, you forget time, you know, you get into the flow and you forget about and time, the space time continuum exactly, works, right? Exactly. And um, uh, and I feel uh, like this sort of like rush of being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I love um I love afterwards feeling confident in myself and the way that I look because somebody else has been in control of how I look. Because if I try to make myself up, I'm like, I get stressed. I'm not doing it right. Right. Um, But if somebody else does it, I just feel so confident that, like, I am the product of their vision. I guess all of this just is to say that, like, I guess I kind of, A, I relate Mm. to your clients. And I I think it's also just... um, an explanation of the fact that we see it manifested in cis men wanting to look like, uh, wanting to look feminine, but mm. it's, I think that that dynamic can be true of people of all genders. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And it's, it's a beautiful, I mean, this is, this is my tap in too, right? Like when I first came out, I had, um, you know, in 1980. Seven. <laughs> I had long hair, and you know, I um, was definitely punk. Yeah. Like I wasn't like you know, I was not a straight girl. I'd never had boyfriends. Like I, I knew that I was queer. Yeah. Um, but I was not like, and I was femme, but I wasn't like straight girl femme. I was like you know what I have come to call hard femme, and I was bossy as shit, and like all of these things. And I thought, oh my god, like I can't be lesbian because I'm gonna have to cut my hair, and I love my hair. Like this is this is I I don't want to sure. stop wearing makeup. I don't want to stop wearing, you know, baby doll dresses and three layers of fishnets and pink boots. Right, like oh, man, that's it was my so, it was identity. So desperately seeking Susan. Oh, era. so much. Yeah, another. We're just gonna have the list of my roots right here. <laughs> um, and. And, and when I finally hit college, right, because God knows I was trying to get with girls in high school, but when I finally hit college where, like, you know, all the girls were pretty much available, <laughs> I realized that I wasn't hanging out with, like, the lesbians. Like, I was a gold star at that time, and I wasn't hanging out with, like, the gold star lesbians. I was hanging out with the bisexual sex working girls mm-hmm. that were, like, going back to San Francisco to strip at the lusty lady on their, like, summer breaks when right. I was brown. Um and and a part of what I loved was that they got performative femininity, and they got right. like femme as an expression, yeah. not as this like naturalized thing, right. but like as a this femininity is mine, and I construct it and oh, I present yeah. it. And so I do relate to cross dressing on that level of it feels exciting, and then you know, like Ray Blanchard has this spectacular concept of like autogynephilia, right? The the world's most baseless kind of diagnostic um, category or descriptive category. Oh, well said. Well said. is this notion that there's a special kind of man um, because to Ray Blanchard, people born male are male regardless of if they transition or not. There's a special kind of man that gets off on the notion of himself dressing as a woman. And I'm like, honey, you have just described 
all people who dress as women, including people born that way. Yeah, I mean, that um, that concept of autogynephilia... Gynephilia? Gynephilia. I try not to even think about it or think about how many syllables it has. Can we clear this word and make this word ours? That's what I would like to say. Because it's ridiculous. I mean, for for, um, folks who may or may not know who are listening, um, this concept is, is... very currently very in mode um in the uh, warfare um against yeah. trans women yeah. um psychological emotional absolutely physical um violence um yes. against against trans women um from the uh from the stance of undermining who they are yeah and yeah. uh it's 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 a despicable uh yeah. it's a despicable thing and also so as a as, uh, as a clinical psychologist uh, what is your opinion of autogynephilia as a as a uh category yeah i mean i think it is part of a larger categorization fetish that's incredibly damaging for trans people's lives there you go yeah I, that's, I got a soundbite for Yeah, it's that. very refreshing to hear that, that definition of it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah you absolutely. know, it, this is interesting because I will say, um, I, I will work with people who are, who dress, right? I will work with, right. with um, people who live in the world as male, who dress, who are simply interested in their dressing as a cathartic moment it's a part of their sensuality or their sexuality yeah. it's a part of their self care it's one of the ways that they like to be able to kind of like go deeply into a thing and unwind yeah. that's you know generally not permitted and often the men that i'm seeing are men who are in positions of a lot of power or control and so they are often also attracting as partners or mates women who are interested in that power and control and might not actually relate to them in terms of their cross dressing desires Right, so this is—I really appreciate the kind of conundrum and the challenge for fellas who like to cross-dress, who are looking for partners who are going to find that as hot as they do. Right, because there is a often like stereotypic gender expectations swing both ways, and the expectations that we have of of men in culture are really damaging to men. Right. Yes. So we get to we get to put that out there. Um, I will also work with folks that I would describe as being more on the trans-feminine spectrum that, for the most part, live 24-7 as men and will have integrate have an integrated feminine self that they might have mm-hmm. a full wardrobe for, that they might have a social group with, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they might dress, you know, sort of for a long weekend, and that that dressing is more about... Um, that the dressing is about the authentic expression of feminine self, not about sexual entertainment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. about like panties and slips and heels. It's about like I've got a, a wonderful woman that I work with, and I, I'm using she and female with her. I was going to ask uh, th- several times. You've talked about your your clients that you dress mm-hmm. or that you, that you work with with female pronouns, yep. um, and I I'm sort of. Assuming that it's because you're sort of referring to their uh, to their persona that you yeah. work with them to that, that expression like that in the moment that they're dressing with me they're expressing a female self and we're using that and because pronouns get to be fluid damn it because yeah. we get to move back and forth um, uh, yeah, I, in I, this I, liminal space like, I think that there gets to be I think when we're talking about trans folks I'm going to harken back to some like you know um, the conversation we were having earlier about Jill Soloway yeah when we're talking about trans folks. 
this is a thing cisgender people do. Cis folks get really fixated on the before. So we get fixated on this like myth of surgery and transition. We get really preoccupied with some entitlement that we have over bodies that are not our own yeah. and stuff that is not our beeswax. <laughs> and we get very fixated on the before so that yeah. we're thinking about what was this person before and that's why we want to know what their birth name was and we want to know all right. these things where it's like, no, no, it's what someone's telling you they are today or where they're going. Yeah. And we're always looking today and forward. So if I'm talking about a, a trans woman and her experience in the third grade, I'm talking about her in the third grade. I don't need to suddenly start magically pronoun swapping yeah. because this woman is a woman and I'm going to refer to her as a woman like unless she tells me to do otherwise. Yeah. So I be it becomes much more of a clear cut, this is the pronoun that is always used um, when I'm um, in community or, or talking about someone who is whose gender orientation um, is male or female and has transgender experience. When I'm talking about cross-dressers, genderqueer folks, gender liminal folks, those, cro those pronouns become much more fluid and we live in a very binary culture. Right. So we do not like the middle ground. It makes us very anxious <laughs> and we don't know what to do with it. So when I go back and forth with cross-dressers, it's because I'm working often with folks that are getting to express a kind of genderqueerness, a kind yeah. of gender liminality. And I, I have a wonderful woman who's a, a mentee of mine, right? She comes to me for consultation and for learning and she's got this beautifully articulated feminine self. Yeah. That she that that this woman's this her her feminine um, identity. It's not even a persona because it's not something she puts on. It's a part of herself she expresses. Has um, a name. Has a closet that's bigger than her boy closet. <laughs> has a, an integrated social group that works that connects with her in her feminine self. Yeah. She um, goes to Paris and goes shopping, and and her outfits, her her personal style is really exquisite. It's a street savvy style. It yeah. is what I relate to as a woman as being this thing that brings in both masculine and feminine and is infinitely wearable. It's not meant for private sexual exploration. It's meant for public integration. That's so right? interesting. And then I will also work with folks for whom their cross-dressing is a part of their developmental trajectory toward being trans. Hmm. Or if they'd started it earlier, they might have transitioned. They might have actually said, actually, this this thing that I, I do to relieve anxiety, yeah. part of that anxiety is actually that I'm living in a gender expression that's not authentic to me. Right, right. Um, and so I think there's often this very binary need to say cross-dressers aren't trans women. And I think that that is true. Yeah. And I think it's also true that for some trans folks, cross-dressing is a part of their early expression or their early like way of understanding themselves. Um, that isn't that they are cross-dressers that became trans. That is that they are trans folks for whom the cross-dressing was one of the, the stepping stones. And, and I'll, I'll experience this both with, um, you know, with men and women, with trans men and trans women. That guys will be like, yeah, you know, when I was identifying as a butch dyke, I was doing drag king shows. And I was like, you know, mm -hmm. packing mm -hmm. and binding mm -hmm. and putting on like, you know, kind of like a little bit of like mascara on the facial hair and really like expressing myself in this way because it was really relieving to me. And that anxiety relief was not just like sexual entertainment. Right. It was an actual like, ah, this is what it feels like to, to drop into a much more congruent, authentic self. Um... Some of the f folks that I will work with will express real um, distress at uh, all I want to do is be feminine and should I start taking hormones or like what, what's the next thing? Like I feel like I need to transition. I feel like I'm actually doing 
this this wrong, and um, and because we have reached the transgender tipping point, because it's now in culture, and I think that there's much more available role modeling for yeah. what options exist. Yeah, I hear more of that, um, and I'm often working with folks to strongly encourage them to not take um, greater black market ho- hormones, to not um, you know to have a, a understanding of the things that they're doing with and for their bodies that's informed by health and wellness um and that also recognizes that sometimes in fact all the time scarcity can drive um problematic decision making Hmm. and so it could be that what they really are seeking and craving is a more integrated space for their sexual and erotic desire and feminine expression to be like witnessed and held and it could be that actually they're experiencing some deep gender incongruence and really need to be um, living life differently, to be functioning better. But that that conversation rarely happens in a vacuum. Like it's good to do that with some support. It's it, absolutely, and it seems to me also that um, you know it's possible that uh, that people might discover that um, actually being a woman. Uh, you know, of course, is fabulous all the time, but, uh, you know, sometimes involves uh, sweatpants, and, um, you know, also, like, you might be a butch woman, you know, and you might be, um, you know, you might also experience that uh, along with all of the... um, all of the sexiness um, that we're talking about also comes, as we were talking about earlier, um, uh, serious... uh, uh, like being on one, being marginalized yeah. um, in in many significant ways yeah. um, by the patriarchy, yeah. um, which uh, I, I don't, I've yet to meet someone who's specifically turned on by being marginalized by the patriarchy. <laughs> um, yeah, there's certain things that resist eroticizing, and that is that is I think one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and and also that that being a woman is a um, is a, a complicated individualized experience and um uh it's not it's not always fun and games yes and that is i think why when we're talking about cross-dressing we're talking about the like catharsis and eroticism and tingliness that comes from playing with these building blocks we're playing with with cultural codes and signals and signifiers that are sexy and fun and hot and don't actually touch on the like way that our gender identity is integrated into our daily lives right and it can be confusing if we don't have that language where we think god i really really love this yeah like do i want to be doing this all the time and and you know the answer is probably yes if it's not limited to only when I'm feeling sexy. Right. Right. If somebody if somebody is curious about gender transformation or playing with gendered fucking mm-hmm. um uh in uh in a sexy way or maybe even as you were saying in a in a social way or an identity affirmative way um uh and they want to get started with some solo play um mm-hmm. what 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 do you recommend like can you describe like a really good like gender fucking solo sex scene oh my god yeah such a great question i mean i will say i love the inter- internet like I really do god bless the internet and this is coming from a person who was kinky and queer before there was the internet again with the brontosauruses so (laughs) I the first thing that I would do is like really 
indulge yourself in some visual inspiration, yeah. some audio or written inspiration, right? There's so many amazing sort of tumblers and Instagram and, you know, just general kind of sites, some of which will be cross-dressing specific, some of which will not, will just be about particular articulations of feminine beauty. Yeah. One of my favorite things is when folks will bring me pictures of the makeup that they love. Yeah. And it's almost always from fashion sources. It's just yeah. editorial fashion, right? It's like this smoky eye and this <laughs> this kind of palette. This is the thing that I just want to look in the mirror and see, right? So to feel really inspired by the kind of feminine articulation that you are interested in. And then to be able to think about the context in which you would be in that space. And mm. this is where, and it's interesting, we haven't talked about like the notion of forced feminization at right. all in this conversation, which is, of course, so often the way that cross-dressing gets presented is, well, I'm interested in forced feminization right but to think right. about the scenario in which your cross-dressing or your transformation occurs and for a tremendous number of folks the power exchange that's inherent here is a part of the the sexy right, right. this notion that you've been um, th this notion that you deeply desire a woman but she's only going to have anything to do with you if you are dressed up mm. this notion that you've been you know sort of seduced into a kind of position where suddenly you're feminized and going to be sold off somewhere <laughs> or made available for the use of others mm. um, this idea that while you've been sleeping you've been secretly injected with hormones or they've been putting a little estrogen in the milk and suddenly you find that your skin is smoother and you're developing breasts right these are all fantasies yeah, but yeah. they're really kind of sexy fantasies. So to be thinking about what's the context in which I'm going to be um, feminized. It could also be that there's no need. There's You don't need a backstory. Right. That it's simply um, there's this really pretty girl in there and you want to see her in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to give yourself ritual time. Cross-dressing is one of those styles of solo play, I think, that really loves a mirror mm -hmm. and it loves some sexy lighting mm -hmm. and some music and to make a ritual out mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. um, Often we are in a place where, um, you know, ideally you want to be able to have a thing or two you can wear that you can keep someplace. Um, you can make finding the thing you want to wear a really exquisite ritual in yeah. and of itself. Yeah. So um, this is often a kind of foreign thing for fellas that are shopping for clothes, but yeah. all clothing shops will have this thing called a size chart. And you <laughs> click on the size chart, and it will tell you the measurements that different sizes fit. Yeah. And you get a fabric tape measure. I actually sent one of my one of my baby girls out <laughs> to, to get a tape measure because I was getting something made for her. Yeah. And as I go to the dollar store, get a tape measure, bonus, it's going to be fabric and pink. <laughs> and use it and give me these measurements, right? Like put it across. Yeah your nipples yeah. put it across your waist and then you will know what size you are because it's not going to be the same as what size Levi's you wear right right, right. but like just it's a tiny bit of know-how to get a slip um, a dress a cute pair of panties yeah all of this is totally examples of things that um, Femmes had to teach me when I was right. like 26. Exactly, because no one is born knowing how to do this. Women right. aren't born knowing how to do this. We all learn it. It's right. handed down to us. Our mothers right. teach us, and then we hand it down to our girlfriends and friends, which is mm -hmm. why women who weren't raised as women often go through a little bit of a learning moment, right? Where it's just yeah. like, okay, I have to learn how to do these things that my mom didn't teach me, yeah. my big sister didn't teach me, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And so we, we get to... Um, this is part of what's great about cultural transmission of knowledge. Um, yeah. My little tips, go for things that are stretchy. Stretchy things are forgiving, right? Don't go for things that are solid satin or that don't have any stretch to them. Um, and invest in the pieces that are tactile, that are going to make you feel really great. 
if you are a person who's like really big in the middle or really big in the shoulders, go for the things that are going to be comfortable around that area and also help minimize. A feather boa is one size fits all. A feather boa, saying. a shrug, a stole. <laughs> um, and then to be thinking about like, wh- where's your articulation going to be, mm. right? So this could be that you simply want to put on a pair of panties and masturbate while you're thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Or this could be that you really would like to shave your body down. Mm-hmm. Or this could be that you really want to find the salon that's going to wax your body from head to toe. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the great things about being a, a dude in today's, you know, in this day and age. Yeah. Is that there are plenty of, of salons that will cater to the grooming needs of cis dudes yeah. in a way that's really like affirmative and positive. That's great. Um, so think about like, is hair removal a part of your ritual? Uh, mm. And then think about the body lotion that you're going to use or the perfume. Like, what do you, are you, do you want to do that step to feminize your kind of sensorial space? Because the, the fragrances, the scents we make available to female spectrum folks are different. Right. Than the scents that are available to masculine spectrum folks, right? Um, and you can go to Sephora and get little samples of the perfume. You don't need to keep bottles of women's perfume in your house right. to be able to have the scent that you really key into. And I, but you can take a you can take a magazine and, oh, and yeah. rub it on your set. The you know, open up that it. sample and just rub that paper yep, on rub the paper yeah. on you. <laughs> but you know, one of the little psychological things that I love to do is being able to sort of talk about the way that fragrance is actually a, a aspect of hypnosis and so wow. when I'm transforming a person down the scent the fragrance is one of those kind of cues in a very Manchurian candidate sort of way <laughs> that this is the thing that's going to let you know now you are going to drop down into your pretty pretty girl space for me um, but really the, the way we solo play with, with cross-dressing and transformation has everything to do with what's your hook like, yeah. are you are you interested in like the transgression of panties or being caught in panties are you a boy who wants to be caught you know, jerking off in someone's panties. Right. Or are you a boy who wants to be made into a girl even though you are going to be fighting it the whole way, right? right? Right. Or are you interested in being able to really express a genuinely feminine part of yourself? And there's little points in between all of those things. Sure. Right? Um, but to be able to set a scene for yourself that lets you indulge in the sensory aspects and create a really sexy story around that. Um, I know there are all the kind of like transformation um, porn comics and um, and pictures that are certainly very problematic for a lot of trans women because they're mm-hmm. often this kind of like you know the language of she males and this language of like enslavement and forced womanhood. Right. And I know they're extraordinarily hot for a lot of cis guys that are having fantasies about their own cross dressing. Right. 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 And right, so right, we right. want to always just like create room to understand our personal porn is not always the thing that like we should feel like I get to just apply like everyone in the world should be looking at this right our personal porn is our personal porn right. and our jerk off material can be um, really great for us and really hurt the feelings of someone else so let's be thoughtful about private versus public and also um, you know a lot of the times the reason that things turn us on is because of the anxiety um, it is because of how problematic it is yes. um, because it's taboo because because it's it because it's depressed like the depravity is what's arousing and, uh, you know, feeling as long as everything is safe, sane, and consensual that fantasizing about that is one thing and having your politics, like, can be yeah. another and that 
in, in my mind, the responsible pervert um, understands the the difference and the boundaries yeah. between those two things. That's it, and and maintains a high level of thoughtfulness. Like this yeah. is the thing; it's not so. I often hear this sort of like, "I don't get to do this, or I'm not allowed to do this." I'm like, "Honey, you're allowed to do anything you want." Yeah. But it's it, you feel better living in the world when you're being really mindful and thoughtful about the feelings and considerations of others. There you go. Right? Like that's just like that's just being a good person. But back to masturbating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back, back to, to masturbating. masturbating. Um, you know, I think also. If you're interested in, in dressing, I think that I mean, one of the things that I will often do with my girls is make them look at themselves in a mirror, right? Mm. To be able to like hold them by the back of the head or have a hand on their neck and really position them in front of the mirror and stand behind them with my hands around them sort of, you know, feeling up their breasts or their breast forms. Mm if we've done something like this, running fingers along the neck and along the ears, really making a person see how pretty they are and see what they're there for. And then what's the language of your entrance into femininity? Is it that you want to feel highly sexually objectified? Mm. Is it that you want to be really kind of pretty and owned by someone? Is it that you want to be penetrated and filled up? To be able to run that script freely in front of a mirror where you're able to really see it um, and make that sort of visual a, a part of it. Um, and then I also think there's something really grand about, again, luxuriating in the textures and the qualities of things. Mm -hmm. So in the absence of a mirror or along with one, you can take all of your panties and all of your stockings and all of your pretty things mm -hmm. and lay them out on the bed and find the things that you then want to wear. Make a ritual out of it. Um, this is an excellent time to incorporate something like an Aneros plug with mm -hmm. your with your pretty dress, right? Like if you want to have that feeling of being penetrated and being filled, but you're on your own. Mm -hmm. Really great solo penetration play toy. Yeah. Um, and then to also bring a sense of the sort of um, hyperfeminine to your masturbatory act, yeah. which is to do your own tease and denial, mm -hmm. right? That like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to just jerk off. I'm going to play, I'm going to run my fingers along my inner thighs mm. and I'm going to pinch my nipples and I'm going to press the skin of my chest together until I kind of create some cleavage and I'm going to look down at it and see what my cleavage looks like and just really explore your body in that really hyperfeminized way, running your script. And, and from that place, I think you can jerk off into your panties. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about jerk off into panties all <laughs> damn day you have a lunch date and you're on New York minutes now Bam, um, it's true. so thank you so much for coming over and talking about all of this really fascinating gender fucking stuff it was my pleasure I can talk I can talk about gender treachery Really, all day long. So gender treachery? Like gender yes. Oh. Right? This is like gender manipulation, <laughs> gender treachery. Like, I feel like we get to call this what it is. Like, we are taking, we are taking these wonderful themes and, and deep, um, multi-generationally transmitted themes, yeah. and we're making them work for our own sense of eros and, um, and like, sensual comfort. So that, that to me is what, like, yeah, great sex, great kink is all about. Well, on that note, thank you for being on the podcast, and uh, I can't wait to uh, share more coffee and talk to you about this and all kinds of other things in the future. I deeply look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to episode 24. Future episodes ask, why are people into bicycles? And why are people into erotica? To stay in the loop, follow at Tina Horns Ass and at Into That Podcast on Twitter. 
subscribe and write us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And visit whyarepeopleintothat.com to subscribe to our newsletter and listen to our growing archive. Next time on Why Are People Into That, Girl Sex 101 author Allison Moon teaches us everything we need to know about pegging. But yeah, I mean, wearing a strap-on and packing to a certain degree, so wearing a strap-on under clothes and with the intention of, you know, turning on a partner or maybe... Um, so those are all things I had I'd done. Um, some of the interesting things that I, I I noticed in the difference between you know penetrating a vagina versus penetrating a, an ass with a strap on. Yeah. Um, it was actually a lot of like the mechanics of it were so different. Which yeah. I thought was very exciting. Um, but you know with with when you penetrate somebody with a strap on in general, you don't have any biofeedback or you don't have a lot of biofeedback specifically on the cock itself. Right. Right. Which means you're kind of like flying with you know with instruments. You know you can't actually figure out what's going on by sensation um so things like you know uh penetrating too deep can be an issue with people with cervixes you know because you can hit the end of the cul-de-sac and it can hurt uh so you know you have to adjust for shallowness or depth um and a lot of just that kind of stuff i find really fascinating yeah girth is usually a really good thing with vaginas right and growth is actually often more important than depth for most people or mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was, you know, that's kind of the stuff you learn as being a strap-on wielder with women, quote-unquote. Um, and so when I switched to being a person who uses strap-on with, well, not switched, but when I added to my repertoire uh, <laughs> pegging, I was really excited to see certain things become more or less important. So for one, like... The difference between and if this gets too technical oh my god please get technical okay well, is there a cervix in the manhole <laughs> there is no cervix in the manhole it is a long road of open highway <laughs> which is one of the reasons why i'm sure when you talk about anal sex it's like flared base for toys or anything you put inside your butt that is correct you know i'm all about the flared base because the other end of your ass is your mouth there is a song cover there all about that flared base it's not it doesn't scan correctly but a lot of syllables it just made me think of that that all about that that song song. is about butts right well it's about booty i mean so butts booty same thing i guess yeah although i think of it it's same same concept yeah (laughs) yeah that would be interesting Anyway, um, so, so but, uh, so there's no, um, I love it when you touch my thigh oh, to make a point. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, no, don't be sorry. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. Wait, uh, when you, uh... As always, Why Are People Into That is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Horn. Our theme song is by Pine from Oakland, California. Our website is designed by Justin Levesque, and we are exclusively sponsored by Smitten Kitten. Until next time, I'll be trying to get these goddamn stocking seams straight. Say hi first. Whatever you want. Okay. Put, put your own put your own um, flair on it. Okay. This is and that's weird. I, I'm just talking. I can so I can say it a few times. Absolutely. And like, pick the best one. Oh okay, yes. great. 
Um, this is T Pantherella, and you're listening to Why Are People Into th- Why Are People Into the- That? You can say it however you want. Why are people into that? Why are people into that? Okay, great. This is T Pantherella, and you're listening to Why Are People Into That with Tina Horn. We miss you so much, T. Rest in peace. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 